Good morning. Welcome to Restoration Church Online. Thank you so much for joining us. I am excited for what God's going to do today. I want to start out and just say I am loving this season that we are in. I love when spring comes in. Let me ask you this. Let's just be a little interactive here. What is your favorite thing about spring? As you start thinking about spring, what is your favorite thing? Why don't you jump into those Facebook comments and let me know what your favorite part of spring is. I'll tell you what mine is. I love seeing the apple trees with their blossoms. They are beautiful. I love it. Uh, loving this time of the year. One of the things I do hate though is I hate that we can't spend time together in this season. It's one of those things that I just regret right now, but I tell you what, when we are able to gather again, we are going to have a huge celebration. It is going to be the best. I don't know when that's going to be, but I cannot wait till we can gather again. We are going to party like never before. Uh, excited to be able to, to jump in. One of the things I wanted to say is I wanted to encourage you to still stay connected. Uh, in this season, when we can't gather together, it is so important that we stay connected. So keep gathering for the Sunday morning services. Keep gathering online, reaching out to one another. It's important that we stay connected. And I'm going to just jump right in this morning. I want to start out and ask you, what is your favorite Bible story? Maybe you start thinking about to maybe some of the Bible stories you learned as a kid, uh, maybe what you've read in your Bible. I always point to the story of Joseph. I love the story of Joseph. He's so unique in that scripture never says anything wrong about him. He's a, he's a good guy. Except we know in the story that he deals with this immense suffering throughout the majority of his life. He's got these brothers who don't like him, and so they sell him as a slave into slavery. And while he is a slave, he is wrongly accused of sexual assault and thrown into prison. And this is a period, this is a thing that lasts for a couple years where he goes through this immense suffering. You're like, he did nothing wrong until one day he has the opportunity to interpret the dream of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh moves him to second in command in all of Egypt. And what I love about this story is you see all of that suffering that Joseph went through, all those bad days, God was preparing him for better days into the future. How many of us know of stories of people's lives that were like that, where they went through something difficult, but then God brought them through to something beautiful? I think there's a story I read about a Bulgarian pastor in 1985, and he went to, to preach at his church as he had done week after week, but the government had decided they wanted another man to be the pastor of this church. So when he shows up to preach, he is arrested, and it, his trial was just a mockery of justice, and he's sentenced to nine months in prison. And this is what he said when he got out of prison. He said, the prisoners and jailers asked me many questions. And it turns out I had a more fruitful ministry in jail than I ever could have expected in the church. Like how many of us know of stories like this? There's probably thousands upon thousands of stories that we could tell of people we've read about, maybe in our own lives, maybe in people that we know. I think about my own life. Uh, I think about how God has used some of my suffering See, I'm a product of the Washington State foster system. I was taken away from my biological parents uh, about six months of age and placed with my adoptive parents somewhere between a year and two years old. Uh, then my adoptive dad uh, died when I was nine. And these two things have scarred me. They have had these pains deep inside of me. They have had these huge impacts into my identity and some insecurities and some things that I wrestle with. But what I find is as I have grown up, I've begun to see how God uses that suffering in my life to shape my heart for ministry. 
In fact, the first ministry my wife and I had the chance to work at, Madison House, we worked with mostly at-risk families, wonderful families. And I think part of my draw to that ministry was my background, where I came from some brokenness. I came from some insecurities and some issues, and that drew me to a ministry that I could reach out to people in similar situations. I think that's what led to us planting a church like Restoration, a church where it doesn't matter what your color of the skin is, doesn't matter what your economic background is, you will find love and acceptance at Restoration Church. I think sometimes though the issue is, our issue is when we deal with hardship and suffering and difficult things, sometimes we get to the point where we feel like we're a victim. We feel like life is out of control. We feel like it's, it's chaos. And in fact, for some of us right now, that's where we are. In the middle of the coronavirus, maybe in the middle of some difficult personal circumstances in our life, we feel like there's chaos all around us. We feel like life is out of control. But here's the good news. Your life and my life, nothing that happens to us is outside of God's control. I would even say, go as far to say as God governs what feels like chaos in our life. God governs that chaos. It's not chaos to Him. It's something that He's got His hand in today. And today we're going to see that God takes our hardship, He takes our suffering, He takes our persecution, and He uses it for our good and for His glory. He uses these circumstances in our life to expand the kingdom of God and to spread His joy throughout the world. So this morning, if you have a Bible, I invite you to open the book of Acts chapter 8. We've been in a series for the last couple weeks that we've called Rhythm and Redemption where we're kind of having some conversations on what do we do in times like this, when our rhythms are thrown upside down? How does God bring redemption in those times? And today, I'm excited that as we are in the season of figuring out some new rhythms of what life looks like with this, we're going to see how God oftentimes moves in big ways. The context in Acts chapter 8, the book of Acts, Acts is the story of the early church after Jesus has, has gone back up into heaven. It starts in Acts chapter 1 in the city of Jerusalem, and there's about 120 Christians is all there was. In Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people are added to the church that day. Acts chapter 4, another 5,000 people are converted to Christianity. So there's about 8,120 believers And the scripture says that more people were being added to the church day after day. But as the church grows and expands, it creates some enemies that want to try and stop the message of Jesus from spreading. And this comes to a climax in chapter 7, when Stephen, a guy who works in the seniors ministry, he is accused of blasphemy. And he gives this message where he just testifies to the truthfulness and the power of Jesus And those enemies of the church, the enemies of Jesus, they kill Stephen and he becomes the first Christian martyr. And the key, the key that we have to understand is, is through the first seven chapters of the book of Acts, everything happens in Jerusalem. And that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 8, after Stephen is martyred in Jerusalem. And here's what it says in verse 1. It says, Saul approved of his execution. And there arose in that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Saul is a guy who is a religious zealot. He was a guy who held the jackets of the men who were killing and murdering Stephen. So he is an antagonist to the church. In fact, it says in verse 3 that Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women, and committing them into prison. 
You see, for those of us that are Christians here in the United States, sometimes we have a hard time imagining what persecution like this is. I mean, sure, every once in a while, we might feel like our rights are being denied, but we have a hard time comprehending a persecution like this that the early church experienced. We have a hard time understanding the persecution that Christians, other Christians in the world and our day and age are experiencing. But that's what they're facing in Acts chapter 8. And so you see the death of Stephen and Saul beginning to ravage the church. And here's what it says in verse 2. That they, the Christians, were scattered throughout the regions. You see, as the church begins to experience some suffering, as the church does, goes through uh, some hard times when their rhythms are broken, where they're no longer able to gather together like they used to do before, there's this interesting result that says that they were scattered. They were forced to spread out throughout the region. And I want to just think about that because in truth, like that probably stinks for them. They probably had this nice church. They enjoyed coming together. They enjoyed their rhythms. And now they are forced to be scattered. Their world is turned upside down to some extent. Honestly, for us, like we may not know what it likes to feel persecuted, but how many of us know what it's like to feel scattered? How many of us feel scattered right now? Scattered from our friends and our family. Scattered from our church where our normal rhythms are broken. We can no longer gather like we used to do before. And honestly, for me, when I go through seasons like this, where the rhythms are thrown upside down, when I experience maybe some hardship and some suffering, it's easy for me to ask questions like, God, why? God, why are we going through this? Why am I suffering like this? In fact, if I'm just going to be honest, there are some dark nights of my soul when I begin to think and say, God, God, if you're a good God, God, if you're a God of love, like what I'm going through does not jive with you being a good God and you being a God who loves me. Here I am humbly trying to follow you, humbly trying to serve you, and now I'm quarantined. Now I can't see the people that I love dearly. And see, what's dangerous is we, when we begin to have these feelings, very quickly we can become calloused. We can become defensive. And as we deal with scattering and suffering, we can shift our focus to injustice. We can shift our focus where we're going to find someone to blame. And we're going to say, well, we'll, we'll blame the government. They can't tell us we can't gather together. I mean, imagine the early church. Imagine if in Acts chapter 8, we read that they said, poor us. We're just victims in this. But that's not what the early church did. The early church, they trusted in the sovereignty of God, which means that God is in control of everything. They trusted that in the middle of the chaos, of the suffering, of the persecution, maybe even in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic, that nothing is outside of God's control. And so look what happens as they are suffering As they're scattered, it says in verse 2, they were scattered throughout the regions into Judea and Samaria. Everyone except the disciples, except the apostles. See, these were the ordinary, everyday Christians who are being scattered. This is the Jesus-loving mom who stays at home with her toddler. This is the students who are learning how to do online school. This is the, the man and wife who are just going out trying to put in their 45 hours a week to earn a paycheck to pay for their bills. This is ordinary people being scattered. And what do they do while they're scattered? 
Verse 4 says, those that were scattered went about preaching the word. See, I love this because I need us to understand that ministry is not what happens on Sunday morning. Ministry is not what church leaders make happen. Ministry is when ordinary people, ordinary Jesus-loving Christians, like you who are watching this, ministry happens when ordinary people start talking about the things of God to the people around them. In fact, I am convinced that the church expands, the church grows, not by the hands of a few gifted leaders, But the church grows when every believer understands that they have been filled with the Spirit and when they begin to live out the gospel to the people around them. That is the power of the church, not in a few gifted leaders, but in everyday believers, everyday Christians who live out the gospel in their sphere of influence. And that's exactly what happens in Acts chapter 8, that the people are scattered throughout the region and they share the truth of the gospel. They share the love of God with all of those that they come in contact with in their circle of influence. Verse 5 kind of becomes a case study for us. We hear about a guy by the name of Philip. And Philip, because of the suffering, because he's scattered, he goes to a city in Samaria and he shares the gospel. And he does it very, in a very specific way. He shares the gospel in both word and deed. See, in verse 5, it says that the crowds heard Philip proclaim Jesus, which means that Philip is sharing the gospel in word. He is telling other people what Jesus has done in his life. He's telling other people how Jesus is their hope, how Jesus is their peace in the middle of a dark and difficult world. But not only in that, he's also sharing the gospel in deed. Verse 6 and 7 says that the people saw the signs that Philip was performing, the healings and the miracles. In fact, I love, I love that scripture calls these signs. You know what signs do? Signs always point to something. When we're driving over Snoqualmie Pass, we'll see a highway sign that says Seattle this way, 100 miles. Signs always point to something. And these miracles, these healings that Jesus did, these miracles, these healings that Christians are doing are always pointing to God's redemptive purposes. The fact that God wants to save souls. And so these signs are pointing to the gospel. And I love this. In verse 8, as a result of Philip sharing the gospel in word and deed, verse 8 says there was much joy in that city. That is a result of Christians living out their faith of sharing the gospel, is there's much joy in the city. One of the things I want to just mention here, as we already said in chapters 1 through 7 of the book of Acts, everything is centered in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The problem is, in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus was with the disciples, he gave them this very specific mission. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so for the first seven chapters, they haven't quite accomplished their mission. And now in Acts chapter 8, as a result of this suffering, almost as if God uses this suffering to mobilize and to send these Christians on mission to reach the world. Perhaps the church would have wakened on their own to go and accomplish their mission. But the book of Acts teaches us and shows us that God used that persecution. He used that suffering to move the church into mission. And that is where I think this text has an application to us. 
Because here we are in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. Here, some of us, we are going through some struggles in our personal life, some difficult circumstances that we are going through. Some of us, we have some new rhythms that we are learning what it looks like. Maybe we've got a new job. Maybe we're dealing with a new circle of friends, a new circle of people around us. Maybe we're in a new city. And what I need us to hear, what scripture needs us to hear, is we need to recognize that God is in control of our chaos. No matter what it is we're going through, God is still in control. In fact, when we ask questions like this, and they're, they're, they're valid questions, we say, God, why are we going through this coronavirus? Why are we suffering in this way? Why are we dealing with this, God? And if you've asked that question, I want to just give you some pastoral love right now. I'm going to give you some pastoral counsel and all of my theological training and all of my pastoral knowledge. Here's my answer to that question. Why are we suffering from this coronavirus? My answer to you is, I don't know. But what I can do is I can reassure you. I can reassure you that God is still in control. That God is governing this chaos. But God often uses circumstances like this. He uses our suffering and our trials and our hardship to bring about our good and to bring about His glory. He uses these things to spread spiritual power into the world, to spread joy into the world. That somehow God takes what was meant for evil and He turns it and uses it for good. In fact, one of my favorite Bible verses, Romans 8.28, says that we know that we can know for those who love God, that all things work together for our good, for those who are called according to his purpose. That even when we don't understand what God is doing, even when we don't have an answer, God, why coronavirus? We can know, we can be assured, we can have confidence that God is working things out for our good and for his glory. See, oftentimes what happens, whether this be in our personal lives or whether this be in the church, is when we find ourselves in comfort, we, when we find ourselves in, in ease and affluence and safety and freedom, things like that, what happens is we begin to think, well, that means we should be excited to accomplish the mission of God. There should be this, this uh, spiritual energy and, and excitement, and, and there must be an unlimited amount of resources to accomplish the mission that God has set for us. But time and time and time again, history shows us that the exact opposite is true. That when we have these seasons of comfort and affluence and ease and safety and freedom, it typically results in a spiritual apathy, in a spiritual weakness, a spiritual lethargy, spiritual uh, uh, self-centeredness, and a preoccupation with safety and comfort. It's through the, the persecution and the suffering of the early church that God uses to mobilize them to accomplish their mission to accomplish their purpose, to take the gospel out of Jerusalem, into Judea, into Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That God breaks their normal rhythms to mobilize them to accomplish their mission. And I say all this, I say all this because right now when we look at our world, right now when you look at your life and I look at my life, we look at these quarantine, these restrictions, this financial uncertainty, maybe some other personal things that we are going through. God wants us to know that he is still in control. He is still in control of whatever it is we're going through. And if we would do this, if we would stop trying to be the victim, 
If we would stop trying to find someone to, to blame and we would open our eyes and look around, we would see the opportunities abound. Opportunities abound right now for God to move mountains amongst our family, amongst our neighbors, amongst our city, amongst our world. That if we looked, God is prepared to move mountains to accomplish his mission if we would look for those opportunities. This is where just because the church is scattered does not mean that the church ceases to be the church. We've said this before, the church is not a Sunday gathering. The church is not a building. The church is the people of God. And we are more powerful. We are more powerful when we understand that God might have scattered us and has a purpose for us to accomplish in this season. In fact, I wanted to just share some cool things that I've heard that people in our church are doing right now while they are scattered to accomplish the mission of God. There is a gentleman in our church that is involved with Camp Hope. And he went there and found out they had a need for toilet paper and bottled water and has took it upon himself to gather those supplies, to pick those up, and to deliver them to Camp Hope and the residents that live there. One of our small groups, they decided one day they're going to put signs on their cars and they went on what they called a prayer parade where they drove to several retirement centers where the residents are no longer able to have visitors. And they drove through these retirement centers and they prayed for the residents, they prayed for the staff to encourage them on a prayer parade. There are people I'm hearing that are from our church that are calling one another to say, hey, I just want to check in. How are you doing? Can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? Anything I can do for you? This is what it looks like for the church to be the church. There are several other people in our church who gathered with a bunch of other Christians in our city, and they went to the parking lot at Memorial Hospital and just prayed over the staff and the people at the hospital. This is a simple thing, but it is so powerful. There's a, a, a gal in our church who's an accountant, and she offered to say anybody who needs help with the stimulus, small business administration loan applications, I'd love to help you with that, and offered her services to help people with those applications. There are people in our church that have sewing skills, and they've spent this time sewing masks and giving masks, masks to first responders and those that are at risk. There's a couple of gentlemen in our church who created a Facebook group and have invited a couple hundred people to be a part of that, that they send these daily nuggets of good news and hope they share with people who need it because we are in a, a season of our life that is filled with fear and insecurity. And these are everyday average Christians, people like you and I who are saying, listen, I think God has a purpose in this season. I, I believe and I trust that God is with me and I'm going to look for opportunities to be involved in the kingdom business, to spread the message of the gospel. And you know what happens when people do things like this? You know what these people are doing? They are spreading joy in our city. In fact, what does our city need most? I mean, constantly we turn on the news and it's constantly bad news, bad news, bad news. Our city, our community, our world needs good news. It needs joy. And when we love our city in word and deed, when we love our neighbors in word and deed, we are spreading the joy of God into the world, which is exactly what people need today. So here's, here's where I come to the application point, that, that idea of what is it you're supposed to do in response to this message. Very simply, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to get in the game. I'm asking you 
to be bold in your trust, to trust that God is in control, to trust that God is governing all of this even though we don't understand it, that God has a purpose behind it, that God is mobilizing the church to accomplish more than we could achieve if we were in the same settings that we were in before. I'm asking you to trust that God will, will do more than we could ever imagine and remove mountains if you and I would just say, God, here I am, would you use me? I want to ask you, what is the one simple thing that you can take away from this message? What is the one thing this week that you can say, you know what, I think God perhaps has equipped me. I think God has, has placed me where I'm at so I can be used by God to share the gospel in word and deed with our neighbor that I can do this, that I can do that. Here's a couple other examples. I shared some examples already of what some people in our church are doing. Here's some other ideas you might consider. Maybe for you, maybe you ask to say, hey, can I just start praying with people? You've got family members, you've got neighbors. What I have found is in times like this, people are open to having you pray for them. So would you just say, hey man, can I, neighbor, can I pray for you? You don't have to break the social distancing guidelines. You can still keep your social distance and pray for somebody. And what happens oftentimes is when you have the chance to pray for them, that might lead to a spiritual conversation that you can share what God has done in your life. How can you serve your neighbors in this season? Is there a practical thing that you can do? Is there someone that you can say, hey, could I go to the grocery store for you? Could I pick up some staples for you? And could I do this for you? I'll just deliver on your doorstep. You don't have to, you don't have to break the social distancing uh, guidelines. You can be wise about it. Is there a neighbor that you could do an act of service for? Could you mow someone's lawn? Could you do something like that just as a practical way of an expression of God's love towards your neighbors? What are the simple things that you can do? Maybe for you, maybe for you, God has blessed you with resources. And maybe I would encourage you, maybe your way to be involved in what God wants to accomplish in this season is to invest your resources in kingdom purposes. In fact, one of the things we did at Restoration Church is we opened our benevolent fund to allow people from the church and people from the community to contribute to our benevolent fund. What that fund is used for is as we find needs in our city, as we find needs within our church, that we can meet some financial need to people who are struggling to meet the basic needs in their life. So if God's given you resources, man, I would encourage you, give above and beyond your regular giving to that benevolent fund. I would also encourage you, man, there are some great nonprofits in Yakima. I think about Dan Brown and Love, Inc. I think about Union Gospel Mission. I think about Camp Hope. There are people who are continuing to, to love our city and to meet needs of people, even in this season. And your support of these ministries would be so encouraging and necessary for a lot of these nonprofits. I think about this, a friend of mine, he made a goal this year. He said, I want to go above and beyond my regular giving to the church. And I said, I want to take a certain percentage to, to bless someone who's not a family member, just to bless them in their life. And he just wants to say, I want to bless this family, and I've got this gift, this financial gift. I'm going to give it to them and just bless them. Maybe that's your practical way. Maybe that's your practical takeaway, is I'm going to take some of the resource God has given me, and I'm going to bless somebody in the love of God, in the love of Christ. See, this is what I'm asking you to do today. I'm asking you to consider how God might call you to be a part of what he wants to accomplish in this season. 
Just because the church is scattered does not mean the church ceases to exist. I believe that God has scattered us for a purpose to mobilize us on mission, to make a greater impact on our city, to make a greater impact in our neighborhoods, that God would expand the reach of the church in our city to, to see the kingdom of God expand, the kingdom of God grow, that more people would be added to the family of God day after day. In fact, let us do this. Let's not let our coronavirus pandemic, let's not, be, let's, not, let's not allow the coronavirus pandemic to be characterized by the Tiger King and by the junk food we ate. Let's allow the coronavirus pandemic to be characterized by, by how bold we were in word and deed in living out the gospel, that we trusted that God was in control of this season, even though it was difficult, even even though we don't always understand it. We trusted that God was in control, and we looked for those opportunities for God to use us to expand the kingdom of God in our city, in our neighborhoods, and in our world. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for this challenge. I thank you for this reminder that you are in control. God, I want to pray for those right now that are struggling, that are asking those questions, God, why? God, I don't understand this. God, I thought you were a good God. Why am I going through this? God, I pray that you would reassure us of your sovereign control, that we would be reminded, not just in our head, but in our heart, that you are with us, that you are governing this, and that, God, you have a purpose behind it. And while we might not understand it, God, we know that you are in control. You are working things out for our good and for your glory. And so God, as you have scattered the church as you did in Acts chapter 8, God, I pray that we would open our eyes and look around for the opportunities that you have given us to spread the gospel, to to love our neighbors, to love our city in, in word and deed. That God, you would use our efforts that would use us to expand your kingdom to proclaim your goodness, that people who are struggling, people who are filled with fear and anxiety would come to know that you are the God of hope, that you are our peace in the middle of difficult seasons. And so God, I pray for every one of us listening to this message, that God, you would put something in our mind, that you'd put something in our heart, that we would say, God, here's what I could do this week. Here's how I could serve my neighbors. Here's how I could serve my city. Here's how I could love in the name of Jesus to expand the kingdom of God. And God, I pray that you would expand the reach of the church, not just Restoration Church, but the church in Yakima. That God, your kingdom would expand. That lives would be transformed because of the way that Christians loved in word and deed in this season. God, I thank you that you haven't abandoned us. And I pray, God, that we would be bold in our trust. I pray, God, that we would be bold in our faith, that we would be bold in our love. God, I thank you that you are with us and pray that you would encourage us and embolden us to live this out. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. And we ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.